You're listening to Rock Talk, a podcast where a couple of jabronis get to know the movie roles of Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I'm Jordan Rummel, joined as always by my friend and co-host, Charlie Guile. Charlie, how you doing? You know, a lot has happened since the last time we released one of these episodes. Yeah, well, what, like like what? I mean, well, uh, you know. Well, we did release one at the uh, a couple months into the pandemic, but here we are in uh, 2022. Jordan... Let's just update some of the listeners as to our lives here. I've since moved to Atlanta. I think we covered that a little bit in our last episode. But uh, you guys are now, you recently moved into another place in Virginia. But you and Rachel got married earlier this year. We did get <laughs> married. We got married in March. Very exciting. Uh, if, if folks only know about my life through the podcast, uh, it might have been a scary drop-off about <laughs> two years ago <laughs> with the ominous Dwayne Johnson has COVID recording. But no, this has been a great, great year for us. We got married in March. Charlie, you were uh, a big part of that wedding as well. Uh, best man of that wedding. So very exciting. Very exciting for us to have you there. Well, um, it was it was a huge honor. And and one thing I do want to talk about briefly is how Dwayne Johnson figured in to your wedding. I, I actually did not include it in my speech, although that might have been a missed opportunity. But Rachel's mother brought it up in one of her speeches, the fact that we do <laughs> this podcast or did this podcast. I don't know. It's sort of a, a we're in a flux state here. Well, Rachel's mom, Megan, has been, I'd say, one of the, if not the biggest fan of the show since we've been doing this, uh, listening to episodes on road trips, sending back thoughts. I believe she loves the Hercules episode. So I think a, uh, a probably a doubly special treat for her today, considering who our uh, special guest is on this kind of return episode of Rock Talk. Yeah, and uh, making her first appearance somehow is Rachel. Hi, Rachel. Hello, <laughs> it's me. <laughs> <laughs> so Rachel Bondi, married to Jordan Rummel. But uh, Rachel, we haven't really discussed what your relationship to The Rock is. Before you met Jordan, or before you and Jordan started dating, what was your relationship to The Rock? Were you tracking any of his movies, any of his wrestling? What was your perception of him? Jeez, um, I don't know. It's hard to <laughs> it's hard to go back to that place um, pre pre Jordan pre Rock Talk. I don't know. He was kind of just this this presence. I don't know if I ever thought about him, but I knew who he was. I didn't really know that he was a wrestler. I think I had seen like the Tooth Fairy or something like babysitting kids or. I don't know. It's hard to it's hard to kind of go back to that to that place. But you and Jordan, correct me if I'm wrong. She might be confusing the Tooth Fairy with Vin Diesel's The Pacifier. You There's know a what? possibility. Yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. you know what? Mm -hmm. I think so. Yeah, that's where he was like the <laughs> nanny, right? That's right. Right. Okay. Nice. Um, I mean, these two have intersected even before they ever intersected. People like Mandela affected. Uh, uh, themselves into thinking that Dwayne Johnson was in a movie called The Pacifier. <laughs> well, in a I way that say, works out. I mean, Sorry, go ahead, so many strong, bald men, particularly yeah. in this movie that we're going to talk about. Oh my but, gosh. Um, yeah, but I will say 
after years of hearing Jordan record rock talk in our closets and I would say giving him some of the best talking points um, <laughs> is it is an honor to finally be on the podcast you've been a shadow rock. presence on rock talk I have and we didn't even know it I have I didn't even know much it. like cypher in this movie we're about to discuss today <laughs> you are our cypher we just need you to get some weird twisty brains I don't know I, so, yeah, we can white... discuss that when we get to it. Yeah, but Jordan, yeah, what yeah, movie yeah. are we talking about today? Today is The Fate of the Furious, uh, the eighth, if we're just counting the number, not necessarily the actual chronological order, the eighth movie in the franchise, 2017. Um, very exciting movie to discuss. It is Dwayne Johnson's, if you don't count Hobbs and Shaw, this is the last movie that Dwayne Johnson is a part of from the Fast and Furious franchise. And there's a lot there to unpack because this is where really the beef between him and Vin, and I know that there's an entire layer of backstory there as well, but this is, I think, where the beef became untenable. This I'm was correct. his last movie with Fast and Furious? They this have one? an offshoot, right? They have a Hobbs and Shaw right. offshoot following this. Is, is my sequence correct on that, Charlie? Yeah, this is the last mainline Fast and Furious movie that Dwayne Johnson is in, and it's the last one he'll ever be in. He is very reluctant to come back to this and, and won't agree. Rachel, tell me a little bit. Do, what, do you know anything about this beef between Vin Diesel and The Rock? What have you sort of gotten by osmosis through Jordan? <laughs> um, you know, we were actually talking about this when we were walking the dog yesterday. Jordan described it as uh, that they both were just being children <laughs> or babies about. I don't know that... that Vin Diesel didn't feel um, like The Rock was kind of respecting his like ownership of the franchise, possibly, and that The Rock was upset that Vin Diesel di didn't acknowledge that The Rock was kind of like, quote unquote, carrying the series or something. Yeah, so I think that's it. I mean, I, I think I think I vaguely knew that they just didn't like each other. Kind of like Sex in the City, like you just know that Sarah Jessica Parker and um, what's her name, <laughs> Samantha, don't like each other. Like I think it was kind of just like in the public discourse. Wow. Um, but yeah, don't know why really. <laughs> and I don't. And correct me if I'm wrong, Jordan. I, I'm not sure that any like specifics have ever come out about this. But this is a movie. It's hard to talk about this movie without talking about a, like the circus behind the movie. And I think a lot of that started with The Rock posting i mean i'm sure we've talked about this plenty of times on the show but the rock posting an instagram post uh, uh caption it's really more the caption than the photo when they wrapped production of this movie and i'll just remind everybody and uh the rock still has this on his page by the way he has not deleted it he's not mm. backtracking on this and he's since doubled down in interviews uh there's no other franchise that gets my blood boiling more than this one my female co-stars are always amazing and i love them my male co-stars however are a different story some conduct themselves as stand-up men as true professionals while others don't the ones that don't are too chicken shit to do anything about it anyway candy asses oh my God. big words big words <laughs> now he doesn't name anybody in this but i think it's pretty clear and everybody like nobody thought he was talking about tyrese right right although tyrese has had his own kind of instagram related meltdowns when it comes to the fast and furious franchise but no i think that this has been 
a pretty clear like Vin and Dwayne back and forth for some time now. And they've both been pretty open about it in interviews when asked. Like they'll both talk about how like they have dis- like fundamental disagreements about how to make these movies. And I think I think Rachel, you got a pretty good rundown of this because obviously Vin takes a lot of creative ownership over this, but The Rock also can point to the box office and says, I didn't join until Fast Five. And that's when these movies started to become like the global juggernauts that they are. I think he might be taking a little too much credit for that. We can we can talk about that, especially especially as it relates to this movie. But uh, right off the bat, Rachel, who do you got, Vin or Dwayne? Well, honestly, just just listening to this, I just it um, I, I feel like Fast Eight walks, so don't worry, darling, could run. Um, <laughs> so this is just like quite a time to be recording this. Um, <laughs> No, on this I feel like I kind of feel like this is Vin Diesel's franchise like The Rock doesn't need to come in and you know be I I also I like Vin Diesel's character a lot more in this movie so yeah I don't know I mean I I, am very curious what a candy ass is Um, (laughs) good question I think that's just a pretty typical like uh uh toxic masculinity insult to give somebody <laughs> mm-hmm. spineless weak weak boy yeah that's exactly and, and right. it's, a, it's a dwayne johnson go-to <laughs> it's like in most of his movies well and in this movie he gives the best some bitch that you will <laughs> ever hear i don't know if you clocked that but i mean right off the top i would say that I've only seen this movie one other time before today, and that was when, Jordan, you and I saw it in theaters. And I remember our immediate response was sort of underwhelmed. But I will say, even though I watched the director's cut of this movie, uh, (laughs) I actually... (laughs) Is it longer? Is the director's cut? It's eight minutes longer. Yeah. I don't know what the differences are because I, I I couldn't point them out to you. But I will say, although there are obviously some slogs i didn't really care too much about the plot of like vin betraying his family i think the set pieces in this movie and specifically the dwayne johnson stuff particularly his relationship to jason statham's character is really really good this is a very interesting i i i I agree with you on the statham and dwayne i'm excited to get into this because i i feel like with the exception of the intro sequence in cuba and uh, a little bit of the cipher car melting off the walls situation. I was underwhelmed by most of the set pieces. And I felt like it was an over-reliance on green screen. Whereas I feel like a lot of the films are practically, practically done. Now that could be completely off, but like everything basically that takes place in Russia, the final hour of the movie essentially to me felt a little bit uh, like animated. Um, and not as as gritty as I'm looking for in a Fast Furious, but but I I am excited to to get into this. I, I am I'm saddened I didn't do the exact we didn't do the director's cut over here now, knowing that <laughs> you got eight more minutes of, of this content. It was long enough. <laughs> yeah, Rachel, what did you what did you think? I mean, uh, was this your first time watching this movie? Yes, it was my first time watching this movie. What have I seen, Jordy? You've seen five and seven for sure. And then I really liked, I saw in theaters, Hobson Shaw. Did we see that with you, Charlie? No. Or And did you watch it in 40X with Jordan and I? 
Yes, right yes. where the chairs and, like, moved. The chairs moved around. Yeah, yeah. you were there. Okay, I, I liked Hobson <laughs> Shaw. Um, and then I think when I was little, I think I saw Tokyo Drift, and that came out. Okay. Yep. And maybe Jordan, I watched like the maybe Jordan tried to get me to watch the first half of the very first movie, but I don't know. There have been a couple parties we've had where I've just put that on in the background. So I think you've probably absorbed that uh, just over time. Yeah. Generally, I thought it I thought it was going to end. I thought we were about to end the movie. I thought it was about to end. And then there was a full extra hour. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. 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 That's basically where I kind of am. I mean, it's an overlong movie for sure. I do think if you just have it on and are watching it and sort of paying attention in and out it kind of goes down much easier than like in a theater in a theater i think it you're way too focused on the plot points or there's nothing to distract you from the plot points where like you know today when i watched it i was i was paying attention pretty well through like the first 30 minutes and then my mind started to drift and get on your phone a little bit but then every like set piece you know the i would like start paying attention again so i was sort of like drifting in and out uh of of all the set pieces which i think is probably the best way to watch this movie what what do you mean by a set piece like action piece like um like the first part of the movie with vin like the race with vin oh, and cuba so, okay. that's a set so you piece. don't mean like literally the set of the movie no. i was thinking like the rooms <laughs> like the decor <laughs> <laughs> okay all right, I'm really so tuned the, in the, the set deck yeah. in, this, <laughs> in this franchise. Okay. It's a lot of steel, a lot of like wire shelving garages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I was surprised that you were like paying attention to that. Um, <laughs> but Charlie, I think you're right. The more that you allow yourself to get caught up in like ghost flight, nuclear football, nightshade, they bring back God's eye, the more that that like dominates the what your viewing experience, you get lost. But if you can kind of bounce between action sequence to action sequence with kind of the overlying thematic plot driver, which is what if Dom was bad? What if Dom was against the group? That's kind of the that's kind of the driver here, right? And if you can kind of allow yourself to just be immersed in that, I think you can kind of kind of keeps it together from start to finish. So Jordan, rather than like having a plot summary. That was the old way of rock talk. We're a little bit more loosey-goosey now that we're back. I just think we kind of take it beat by beat. This movie's been out long enough that I think the people listening to their show have probably have seen it and are somewhat familiar with it. So we can just like start off like, you know, the first kind of place that we go is Cuba. What do we think of Dom and Cuba? Yeah, we spend like the first 30 minutes in Cuba. I think it is the ideal setting for Dominic Toretto. I think it's the the quintessential fast and furious setting it's very tropical uh for some reason everybody knows him everyone is related to him there's a lot of like your cousin's in trouble i've heard about you dominic toretto um i was a big fan uh rach this is this being one of the first fast and furious you've seen how did you feel kind of starting things off in cuba well for one i had no idea why they were there i had no idea why they were there two I was like, oh, is Vin Diesel supposed to be Cuban? Because I thought he was Italian. <laughs> so I was like, okay. This and is Band of Brothers, I think, I think he's Italian. But yeah, everything I mean, else Toretto, is like... Toretto's an Italian name, but he's, you know, he's kind of a racially ambiguous guy. Um, but he, I think he was speaking Spanish. So I was like, okay, maybe he's Cuban. And then I was like, oh, cousin, why does he have a cousin in Cuba? Like, is he Cuban? My 
my first note was that uh, there was the first fedora of the movie about three minutes in. <laughs> but not um, the last. <laughs> well, that's what I, I was going to actually do like a fedora count. Um, but it, it was the only fedora <laughs> of the movie. So spoiler. Um, yeah, but it was, yeah, it was very um, colorful and pretty. Were you excited by the race? Like, did any, what did that, did that do anything for you? Not really. I, I liked that he used, I noticed he used like a Coca-Cola, um, like top, what's that called? Like a, a tab? A top, yeah. To like make his car fast. It's a poor man's turbo. <laughs> yeah. Or the poor nitrous. man's nitrous. The yeah. Cuban Nas. The Cuban Nas <laughs> makes an appearance. Yeah. I truly I don't understand. Like if that, you pull a vacuum line and I don't really understand any of this stuff, but. I mean, one thing that he says, and he said this in other movies, I think he said it in the first movie, is it's not the car, it's the driver. But then immediately is like, we need to take everything that's not essential off this car. (laughs) So he undercuts his point a little bit. But um, Yeah, that was crazy when all of a sudden he's just like pulling off the the hood of the car. what I like about this intro sequence is we get to know Dom. If, if if you have never seen Dom before, if you're new to the franchise, you understand instantly like what he's about. He starts dropping first, Charlie, what you're describing, right? Like it's not what under the hood, it's it's who's buying the wheel. Uh, you get the, um, if you make a deal, you got to live up to it, which is basically a running running theme through the series of, uh, for, for Dom, like an honor standpoint. We get to meet a new cousin and then he races. Like I think it's a pretty effective here is Dom Toretto in a nutshell. Yeah, if you've never seen another Fast and Furious movie, I feel like this is like a pretty good like Cliff Notes version of like everything. My question is like, are there, does Dom have like adventures that we don't see? Like between movies? I would love like an anthology series of just like Dom and places around the world. <laughs> it does seem to imply a level of like, he must. Yeah, well, especially because his family seems also very spread out. He seems to have family in every movie that we've never met at these locations. All right. Well, one thing he says during this race is like, because Letty's like, you're going to be driving a bomb if you do the poor man's nitrous thing. He says, I only have to make it a mile. But the race is much longer than a mile. It goes on for like 15 minutes. It goes on for a long time. He ends it, I think, in what is maybe one of my favorite, my favorite action sequences in the series with the reverse on fire, like final stretch of that race. Yeah, which you know, conceivably that's a mile, basically, also at the end that like final stretch of the race. But burning car backwards, he and you know what, he bails out onto pavement, which is like a theme in this movie, especially. (laughs) It was like. It was yeah, it was like the Chekhov's gun of this movie because he does that again <laughs> in Russia. But like the thing I noted is that he's so comfortable jumping and rolling out of cars. It's like that's his preferred way to exit a car. <laughs> well, Fast 6 is when he has that leaping out of the leaping to catch Letty midair crashing it. That seemingly is when he he makes the the the, the shark jump moment into superhero. Uh, and this movie takes that and runs with it. He is like immune. He's immune to pain. 
And and we've discussed this at length. I mean, but but one question I really had for the cold open in Cuba is he and Letty are talking about Buster. Did Buster. you catch this? They're like, just the just Buster taught me this. Let's do it for oh. Buster. Who is Buster? <laughs> there was. I, yeah, I I don't know. I did catch that. That's right at the beginning at the. Does is, it, is there any link to like his dad or like the yeah. race crew in Fast Nine? <laughs> is Buster like slang for Dan? But Letty also wouldn't have known Dom's Dan based on what we know from Fast Nine. I don't know. I mean, listen, the timeline of this movie does not have to make sense. That's not really what it's about. Um, but, you know, now that like we get in like the movie proper, we see we meet Cypher and she recruits Dom. Um, Cypher is obviously played by Charlize Theron, who is like so good at these kinds of movies. I recently watched Atomic Blonde, which is not a great movie, but she is so good in it. Um, she, I think she just really enjoys like these action movies. But the, but the one really objectionable thing I have with her is her hair. Yeah. <laughs> what Rachel? year was this movie? Um, what, what 2017. year was 2017. That's crazy. I thought it was... It, it seemed like it was way earlier than 2017. Why is that? Well, f- for one, you know, wh- white woman dreads. Like, <laughs> that's what it was. I mean, like, you ca- like, I don't know. I just felt she like. She should have known better. She should have. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought, I thought, okay, this would make more sense if maybe this was like 2013, 2012. It's um, a real big so movie I was surprised. for like Rachel Dolezal. Really big, really big. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. That was, I was like pretty surprised at that, but I mean, she, she was beautiful. She like looked, you know, I, I've only ever seen her in the, I guess, um, Hobbs and Shaw where she has this short, like cropped short hair. Right. So the long hair looked right. good. Just shouldn't have been. Shouldn't have been. <laughs> shouldn't have been. like Well, yeah. <laughs> um, let's just look at her hair because I do think it's like worth a breakdown here. Let's like let's get a good look at it. Are those dreads? Maybe They're not. definitely twists. They're like twisty. What would you call that? Kind of like a um, a Jamelli pasta thing. I think going on. <laughs> I've just never seen anything quite like it. I mean, do you think that there was a conversation where they wanted her to have dreads, but then thought better of it? So this is like kind of like a midway point between dreads. It's definitely like twisty. I I I think it is dreads. I think it's like really thin. You know, they're not like full on dreads, but but they're it's definitely twisted. Like, I feel like she would shower and her hair would still dry like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't think. If if mm. you go to the beach, this to me is like the seventh grade girl goes to beach, comes back with the little colorful kind of wrap. Oh yeah, the little this twisties. to me doesn't seem far off from that. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. This is exactly what like, uh, yeah, yeah. Somebody comes back from Cancun on spring break and they have beads in their hair, and you're like, <laughs> wow. When you're in sixth grade, you're like, that is a worldly woman <laughs> standing Must be before me. A wig, though, right? I mean. Uh, probably. I mean, I definitely think in Fast 9, it's like a really wiggy wig. But this is probably a wig, yeah. You're, you're probably right. So, I, I guess my question when it comes to her recruiting Dom is, she shows him a phone. What was on the phone? 
Like, how does she communicate everything with him just by showing him a phone? Ostensibly, it's like a photo of what we later learned to be Elena with his son, right? I think that that would be, that would make the most sense if it's, but that's a lot, I think considering the sequence and the timing of these movies, that's a lot of dots to connect and a lot of inferring on his part to make the leap of, even if it, even if it was that a photo of, of Elena from fast six and a child, that's a lot of like internal assumptions that this is my boy or maybe it's just a picture of Elena with the kid. But the, the the processing that he would have had to do in that moment while having no reaction, <laughs> very little reaction, uh, is, I don't know, I just thought that moment, knowing what he was looking at, uh, was, was kind of uh, hysterical. Is it correct that he didn't know who she was at this moment, right? Ooh. Like, did, Oh, Cypher? The... Yeah, did, did he know of Cypher, but he just didn't know... Everybody knows Dom, so I bet he has these interactions all the time where somebody's like, Dom, I need your help. But this time it was a little different, right? I mean, he seems like he's been in that situation before. Yeah, I guess I was just confused why he would think that just some, like, random woman showing him a picture, like, how that would... Like, why why would he feel... Why would he know to be scared of her? She makes a few comments, I think, in that intro around the lines of like, oh, like you and Letty finally having that that honeymoon is there's a lot of uh, uh, knowing comments. Yeah, exactly. Hints that she is she's been watching him uh, um, to an extent and he's kind of on the run at this point. So I think it wouldn't be out of the question for something like this to happen. And. I guess my central question about this movie is why couldn't Dom tell everybody about this? Like, hey, when we go with Luke Hobbs to steal the EMP, we're going to turn on him. Like, I I just feel like other people could have been in on the plan the whole time. But I guess then we wouldn't have had a movie or I don't know. It was just like, I, I don't understand why it had to be a secret. Maybe it was about protecting Letty and the rest of the crew from any sort of collateral damage. But um, I don't know. I just felt like he could have been a little more communicative. Well, I have that down written down as well, because it seems like the entirety of this movie still could have happened uh, with basically an understanding of, Hey, I'm, I'm working for her, but I'm, you know, they could have still basically had that final set piece in Russia and ultimately have like worked together to actually stop Cypher, but there would have been so much less drama the entirety of the way. Like the Letty, but maybe, con- maybe it was supposed to be like you don't know if he's a- ever going to get out of it, so maybe he'll just always end up working for her. I think that's what what, what we were supposed to think. I think that there yeah. was supposed to be a question of, wow, is he really bad? But yeah. like based on what we know about Dom, there was no way he was ever really going to like turn, although. I do kind of her speech to him about you're an outlaw, you know, you, you always, yeah, you're you're not with the law, which is kind of an interesting like return to like the beginning of the franchise, and like I I found that actually kind of compelling. Like that actually might I think that alone <laughs> might have convinced him that was those were his roots, uh, you know, being on the run from the law. Uh, he was never supposed to be working for the good guys, I think, initially. 
he does respond to that that monologue with uh name dropping the movie this is my this is fate and i choose to make my own <laughs> which it's like all right we're we are 14 minutes into this film. you gotta drop it you gotta <laughs> drop it i mean straight from here we go into dwayne johnson's introduction mm-hmm. what do we what do we think of dwayne johnson talking to the government folks and then it's revealed that he's the soccer coach it felt very top gun to me like because you it cuts to it it cuts to Dwayne the the first scene is Dwayne Johnson and you just see him and he's yelling he's like yelling at these you know he's like you're the best of the best like we just saw we just saw Top Gun and it felt like the same sort of like um and then you know obviously it cuts and it's just all these like 12 year old girls um that he's he's talking to yeah felt felt Top Gun it was funny I think it's sweet. I think it was a sweet scene because he's he's a girl dad in real life and it felt like such a girl dad moment. He also mentioned Taylor Swift, which was nice <laughs> for me. Okay, and, and I had this question for you. He calls her Tay-Tay. Is that one of yeah. her? Okay, people call her Tay-Tay? No, oh. no. People call her Blondie. Blondie? Yep. Wow. Which is funny. Um, a fascinating... No, people don't call her Tay Tay. It felt like I honestly was surprised that that she was like mentioned. Like I, I didn't know if like how she would respect because they kind of mentioned her in like a negative way. Yeah, it's a little bit like Taylor Swift is for teenage little girls. is for like mm-hmm. little, for little girls. girls. Yeah, you're yeah. right. And I think that by 2017, people had sort of disabused themselves of that notion, and she kind of had a broader appeal. When did 1989 come out? Um. 20... Was it before this movie? 14. Oh, okay. So yeah, we were years 2017 was Reputation. So I don't know if Reputation came out before or after. But Um, we were like fully, like, she is no longer just like a a little country star. Oh yeah, no, no, no. Way past Who appeals to little girls. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I think maybe this movie was written a few years earlier or something like that and they just never updated it. But I mean... Threatening to kick somebody in the Tay-Tay, mm, mm-hmm. I thought was uh, a stretch. But it, it is fascinating yeah. talking to you, Rachel, about this. Because Jordan and I have been like living in this version of Dwayne Johnson for so long that we're, I think maybe we're a little sick of it. So what, Like a the fresh, girl dad thing? Yeah. Or like the, yeah. For you to earnestly say that that is something that resonated with you is actually a very refreshing <laughs> thing I think he's us. very sweet. I think he's like a sweet man. So I have a question then, because I think this is related to that. In this same scene, we are given two side, three sides of Dwayne. I'd say one side is girl dad, loving father, and that that's something that is that comes through in most of his films at this point. We get mm-hmm. shades of him being the intense military guy, right? The third piece of this, and they they go back to this a couple of times in this moment. All of the moms watching are like very attractive to Dwayne, like very horny for, for Dwayne yeah. in this movie. And I am wondering if that is a reality. Like, do we think there is a demographic? Like, is Dwayne like a sex symbol in that way? Because I think this movie posits that, at least in this moment. Yeah. But like, now, I, I think if my daughter's soccer coach was built like Dwayne Johnson, I would be staring at him too, because he's just a complete freak. But I don't know that... I, I mean, we've talked about this ad nauseum, but Rachel, what is Dwayne Johnson's sex appeal, if there is any? 
I mean, he is literally, I would never, I'm, he's so, I'm so not attractive at all <laughs> in the, in the slightest, but yeah, I agree with you, Charlie. I think, I think it's just, you know, if you're like a normal parent, if you're like a mom or, you know, whatever, dad, whatever, just a parent and, and your daughter's soccer coach, is that like huge? I think just the fact that he's, that he's ripped and like a dad would be an I mean he could look a lot less strong than he does and people would still see you know it's like you're just used to seeing I don't know normal looking people <laughs> right, um, yeah but no I I don't at all find him at all sexy now maybe um, they overheard this line and this helps because he said the only thing I love more than saving lives is my daughter which is like such a classic Hobbs line that it after you know, Jordan and I, I, we've talked, obviously, offline, off the podcast over the years about Dwayne's appeal and sort of, I feel like our position on him has evolved to the point where, like, now, it's not that we're, like, completely against him, but I think we're both in agreement that he's, like, he m- misunderstands his appeal. So watching this movie and going back to these sorts of moments was, was, a ni- was nice for me. Yeah, I I agree, and it, it it is a a complex evolution of of feelings towards Dwayne. I do think that this movie if is probably the beginning, and Rachel, you kind of mentioned this earlier, but I think that this is kind of the beginning of Dwayne's uh, maybe like heavy handed creative involvement in some of the movies that he is co starring in from like a writing standpoint. I think that probably prior to this, I think five and six and seven are good examples where I think he kind of allowed himself to play a character as written with maybe modest, modest uh, personal choices. This to me felt like Dwayne writing this sequence in particular, the get kicked in the Tay Tay joke. This is like shades of rampage. It's shades of jungle crew. Like to me, this, (laughs) this felt kind of like the unfortunate, like, new Dwayne Johnson turn that we've been seeing. Yeah. I mean, this definitely seems like he thought this was funny on the day and because he is who he is, they kept it in the movie. But yeah, I, I, I agree that this is like a little bit shading towards the Hobbs and Shaw version of Dwayne Johnson, the uh, red notice that, or, uh, or even Jungle Cruise, where like he thinks he's a funny man. I I just I much prefer my Dwayne, you know, giving one liners and being like a self serious uh, thing. But when it comes to acting, I was reading a little bit. Vin Diesel gave an interview to Men's Health magazine, and he talks a little bit about his approach with Dwayne and the character of Hobbs. He says my approach at the time was to give a lot of tough love to assist in getting that performance where it needed to be as a producer to say, okay, we're going to take Dwayne Johnson, who's associated with wrestling. And we're going to force the cinematic world to regard his character as someone that they don't know. And Hobbs hits you like a ton of bricks. That's something I'm proud of that is that aesthetic. It took a lot of work. We've had to get there. And sometimes I could give a lot of tough love, not Fellini esque, but I would do anything I'd have to in order to get that performance out of him. So he's like taking credit for Dwayne's entire acting, all of his acting. This is, that's a crazy, that is a crazy (laughs) take. Uh, I mean, considering first, considering Dwayne's body of work outside of Fast and Furious, 
wow. <laughs> and like, listen, uh, Vin Diesel has appeal, and I think we all enjoy that appeal. But I don't think anyone among us would be like, he's a great actor. I don't know. Did, what, did Vin Diesel? Did, did Vin Diesel like help direct this? Like what? He's a producer, and he has been since the first movie. So okay. he really has had a hand in, in this from start to finish. And I think he's very proud of that, and I think he should be. But sometimes I think it goes a little far, especially when, like, he posted a little while ago, like, Dwayne, come back to the franchise. My kids still call you Uncle Dwayne in my house. Oh, my God. He, uh, and, like, I, I made a promise to Paul that we would finish this. Like, he invoked Paul Walker and his children and trying to publicly force Dwayne Johnson's hand. It- and I think... In in this beef, personally, I I tend to be more on Vin's side, but when he does stuff like that, it makes it hard to defend. It has shades of the Miss Flow video, <laughs> to a large extent. Whoa, I think you're yeah. right. I think this is a perfect time to like reexamine this beef in the wake of Don't Worry, Darling. Yeah, seriously. Wow. I do want to ask, since we're kind of comparing, you know, if with Vin, with these comments that you've raised about Vin saying that to an extent he's responsible for uh, Dwayne's acting ability, I think one way we can compare them directly in this film, um, and I'm interested in your takes on this, is which is a more believable father figure? Because I think we get a lot of that from Vin here, whereas maybe he's been the father of a street crew, like he's been the father of the gang. The and patriarch. he's an alpha patriarch. Yeah. Now he's being asked to really be like a a dad, a father. A literal. I'm wondering, yeah. what are your thoughts uh, on Dwayne versus Vin as kind of like the best daddy in this movie? Yeah, I, I <laughs> the best daddy. Um, actually, I think Dwayne actually does a better job of that. I, I have a hard time buying Vin as a father, and maybe if the kid was older. Maybe I would buy it a little more, but Dwayne with an infant, I guess we haven't really seen, so maybe maybe he wouldn't be more believable than Ben. I'll tell you who, honestly, wild card, I think the best daddy in this is Jason Statham. <laughs> Rachel, what did you think of that sequence at the end? The extended Jason Statham baby on a plane moment. What did that, because you, you were pretty vocal when we were watching that. <laughs> well, that was a cute baby. I'll tell you that was a, that was a really cute baby. It was probably one of my favorite parts of the movie. Yeah. Anytime Statham was like fighting or doing anything, I was just he's so magnetic and the way that he fights is so much more enjoyable to watch. The prison uh sequence is to me maybe the best like hand-to-hand fighting we've ever seen from the franchise. And maybe we should play this, but like the the reintroduction of Hobbs and Shaw together, I can see why they thought this spinoff would be like a really good idea because, you know, their dynamic together and their hatred for each other is so good. Rachel, what do you think of the dynamic between the two of them? Hobbs and Shaw? Good. I mean, I, I like them. I think they're funny. Um, you know, another bald man. I like that he's British. I don't really understand why they hate each other at the beginning. Um, they very quickly seem to kind of uh, come together and they're kind of this like funny team. I don't know. I, th- I think they're funny together. I think they play off of each other's energy really well. Um, I love that Helen Mirren is his mom. Um, I love the Shaw family so much. Like, yeah, both of the Shaw brothers and Helen Mirren. I 
and honestly, I think that's the spinoff we should have gotten. And I would still be very open to that if they wanted to do like heist films with the Shaw family. I'd be very yeah. into that. What do you think of the chemistry between Vin Diesel and Helen Mirren? I find it erotic. <laughs> this is a series that is like sexless. Like this is for the for the, in a, in large part like a sexless franchise, despite their best efforts. I think that those two are electric together. <laughs> they wanted to tear each other apart. Helen Mirren and Vin Diesel. Oh. <laughs> you're not buying it I, I just think that Helen Mirren has such chemistry with probably anyone that it's rubbing off on Dwayne but um, especially in Fast 9 there are like sequences with the two of them that's like that are unbelievable but Rach I think you do bring up a good point right they come together Shaw and Hobbs seemingly are, are, are violent blood enemies to begin this movie and then they make up like halfway through Important not even halfway are... through I feel like it was the next scene. They were suddenly just, they hated each other. And then the next scene, they were like working together and everything was fine. But that's, it's exactly, I think that's a really important observation about this film in particular, because if we are watching these movies in the, the actual chronological sequence, Shaw would have just killed Han in Tokyo. Like, I guess right before I would, this like movie. in the months preceding this. <laughs> um, so it's not even just uh, Dwayne Johnson's character kind of coming around on shot out of nowhere. It's like the entire Fast and Furious gang suddenly uh, becoming best buds with someone who we have all just watched murder, like a core pivotal in- original member of the team. Our favorite character <laughs> in the entire <laughs> franchise. Um, but I, you know, I, I don't necessarily agree that they're, like, best buddies. I mean, I guess at the end, at the barbecue, maybe they've gotten there. But, like, early in the movie, I think it's, like, in they're really distrustful of each other. But then after the prison fight sequence, they come to... I think they come to an agreement that, like, the best thing to do is, like, just to, you know, get along to get along. But I do think we should watch a clip of Dwayne Johnson... Since this is a Dwayne Johnson podcast, allegedly. <laughs> uh, his intro... Uh, reintroduction to uh, Shaw. So let's play this. Uh, watch a little look bit of at it. That. The Ben Cook got his day. I like Dwayne in orange, by the way. This is maybe the last moment his jumpsuit still has sleeves. Blooming gone bad, huh? Such a cliche. Oh, well. Welcome to the club. I wouldn't get that twisted, son. We ain't in no club. We got nothing in common. And unlike you, I ain't gonna be here long. You bring a shovel, did you? Just 38 feet of steel and concrete. Well, sure, I've been told. (laughs) Better get to digging. I love that so much. (laughs) Wanker. Wanker. Punching, punching, no sleeves. Like, <laughs> all those blow-down muscles will give you. All showing, no god. They look identical. <laughs> oh, he's already cut the sleeves. Yeah. It's, yep. Oh, I got plenty of go. You must have misplaced that. 
when I kicked your ass up and down that office of yours. Yeah. Right now, Dwayne Johnson is just like you Brits rewriting lifting history, a concrete huh? table. All I know is it wasn't me that was thrown out of a four-story window. Jumped. I jumped out of a four-story window, saving my partner's life. Cause where I'm from, we don't settle fights by throwing bombs. Well, that's funny because where I'm from, was Elena his partner? Run to our rescue. Elena was his partner. Do you really partner? believe yeah, okay. you can stand in front of me and beat me in a straight-up old-fashioned fistfight? Let me tell you something. Me and you, one-on-one, -on -one, no one else around. I will beat your ass like a Cherokee drum. Mm. <laughs> so that gives us like I just I love that dynamic and I'm a little bummed that Hobbs and Shaw was not more of that kind of stuff right they leaned goofy or they leaned I guess they leaned to me that's like again they started shading a little bit sillier but here they're doing almost the straight man versus the funny it's almost rundown-esque it's it's a little bit of that central intelligence we get a little bit of that here yeah, I like it when Hobbs is just like a straight up serious character, like to the point of melodrama, to the point where it's goofy, not because he's saying jokey lines. I don't know. I didn't understand, though, I have to say most of that jail sequence. This without getting to because I think most of this does not matter, but Mr. Nobody ends up showing up and this is a character that has made like sporadic appearances again as sort of like a a, a, a puppet handler type figure uh, but he he breaks them he, uh, he seemingly orchestrates the entire jailbreak which i yeah. find bizarre why didn't he why why did he do that well he he off well to get Dwayne to work for him to get him out of jail because he needed him I, and but Dwayne <laughs> but Dwayne was like i'm gonna stay here and work my way through the courts i i don't really understand that i will say that despite all the fact that it's a little nonsensical, I like Mr. Nobody. I think Kurt Russell rules. And this is obviously something they gave up on after this movie. But Scott Eastwood's character, total, we never hear from him again after this. I They were trying to make him happen at this moment. It was moment like a Paul Walker actor. bridge. They even give him Paul Walker's blue car. Uh, for the the, the 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 chase scene when the gang is chasing after Dom, they give him the blue the blue the same shade of blue, and it's like that's the entire shtick. So wow. I think that's what they're going for. But uh, a shell of Paul Walker. <laughs> now Scott Eastwood, I'm really not familiar with him other than the fact that he's royalty, Hollywood royalty. What do we know about Scott Eastwood? I I nothing. Pacific Who Rim. Is this? is this Little Nobody? Yes. Little Nobody. That's exactly right. Is that his son? Yes. No. Well, no. Big Nobody? Or Mr. <laughs> nobody? Kurt, I don't think he's canonically Kurt Russell's son. Um, but I'm looking at an Esquire article here. Clint and Scott Eastwood together. This was from 2016. They were really trying to make this happen. Oh, did, fascinating. Did he date some did scott eastwood date somebody famous is that why i know of him what i'm seeing about scott eastwood is that he learned jujitsu from his friendship with paul walker who got him into martial arts so maybe there is some like loose tangential connection pre pre this movie as well yeah, maybe i don't know i mean i mean if you look at him he looks like a, a handsome guy <laughs> like He's he should really be a cute. movie star yeah, he, he he was the most attractive 
man in the movie. Is it because he has hair? Are you an anti-bald? Um, <laughs> yes. I think we cracked the code here. Yeah, yeah. George, <laughs> if you ever go bald, uh oh. That's him and him and is it is it just him and like Ludacris are the right Ludacris isn't but yeah it was it was just him and him and Ludacris were the only men with hair I mean look Um, at this he can wear the heck out of a most conventionally attractive but was he the most sexually appealing and I don't I don't know if I would agree with that I don't know if he oozed any kind of appeal who oozed more (laughs) well yeah I was very turned on by Vin by a, in a large part of this movie. Vin well, okay. has leaps and bound more sex appeal than The Rock. Yeah, I I would agree with that. Well, I guess this movie is about Vin becoming an actual father. So mm-hmm. I, maybe we should talk a little bit about that arc. They, you know, he and Letty are talking about it at the beginning of the movie in bed. Have you ever thought about having kids? And then immediately, like when he gets out of bed and he goes on a run to the supermarket. <laughs> Did I? Don't, quick aside he was like walking around with a tote bag with a baguette sticking out of one end and a rose sticking out of the other which i really liked anyway is that when is that when he meets cyrus cypher cypher Cypher. Um, yeah 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 you know what actually that scene that scene where they're laying in bed right at the beginning to me it felt exactly like game of thrones didn't it feel like a Jamie and Cersei Lannister like laying in bed? There was like red velvet and like low lighting. And it just, it felt so Game of Thrones to me. That's just a little. Um, There's not a lot of scenes yeah. that take place in bed. Uh, I, in, I think in the with them, I think in, in that sense, Jamie and Cersei in the, in the vein of like, these are two people that I feel do not, should not be sexual together. Like I don't see the Dom and yeah. Letty like like chemistry necessarily. I thought he had more chemistry with Elena. More frankly. with Elena, more with Cipher. I was really into the Dom and Cipher, like just stuff. Like the back and on. forth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but you know, we we end up meeting uh Ven's baby. Uh, and and maybe we should just kind of fast forward and gloss over a lot of this movie. And we can talk briefly about the sub chase, which I which I agree with you. I think is very CGI. But I think the stuff in New York with the self driving cars, a lot of that was done practically, and I enjoyed a lot of that this time around. Um, I don't understand how any of it was accomplished. Uh, yeah. And I and I do think this was like this was the first time the franchise had ever been to New York. Was my understanding. And it could have been anywhere. They didn't really take advantage of like the New Yorkiness of it. That's exactly my. I again, I, I, I sort of feel like after Cuba, the rest of the sets in this movie are just are uh, an ambiguous. Uh, well, you didn't know where they were. I mean, right? They do a little. I see. They did like a little like New York, New York text little thing. But to your right, I think. To your oh point, yeah, but I mean, tell. the majority of the movie, I felt like was just. In like steel rooms. <laughs> like, That's the aesthetic of this franchise. Were they in rockets? Were they in submarines? Like I don't know. It just felt like Cipher well, was on a plane ninety percent of the movie. That Charlize Theron yeah. must have been on set for like a week and a half because nice. every single set, she, every scene she's in is is a CGI helicopter, CGI submarine. I will say this movie probably looks most like the ride. Like the aesthetic of this movie matches the ride at Universal Studios the most. Oh my god! Which is bleak. 
not <laughs> yeah. like outside of Cuba. I think you're right. Everything kind of looks like gray and blue and steel. Um, but yeah. I will say that like the actual set pieces themselves, I, I enjoyed. Uh, and I think the sub stuff with the exception of Dwayne catching the torpedo um, was really pretty forgettable. I wish we could have had more, you know, Cypher's whole deal is that she has complete control of, of, of like technology. So right in, in the, in the previous movie, we have God's eye, which is basically like the ultimate camera. It can hack into any camera, any location, get you an angle on anything. Cypher in theory is supposed to be able to build on that power with like actual physical control of objects. And that's where we get to see her take control of the cars and ram them into in, in all downtown New York. That piece was awesome, but I feel like we didn't get to see that flexed an, enough. I would have like, I think at the end in Russia, like one more opportunity of like, I don't know, maybe a bunch of submarines burst from the sea or mm-hmm. a bunch of helicopters are like being smashed. Down. Like I feel like we got one example of the height of what she can do, but then it kind of goes back to like God's eye. Like she sort of has eyes everywhere which just didn't didn't do much for me. Well, until the very end, I honestly wasn't sure. Is she like a master coder? Or is she like, does she literally have like magical abilities? You know, like, <laughs> wait, is she- a- Wait, <laughs> you did So wait, you actually thought this was sorcery? No, but like, well, <laughs> well, because you never really see her actually. I mean, maybe that, you know, there are all these computers like beep, beep, beep. You know, the whole movie is like beep, beep, beep. But like, <laughs> you don't really see her sit down and like do code or whatever until the end. So, I mean, especially that scene at the New York where she suddenly is supposedly controlling all the cars in New York and making them go and they're all synchronized and like. Well, she has that a little intern. witchy. Yeah, she has that. She has that intern. <laughs> is the intern all. the redheaded guy? No, but uh, he's from Game of Thrones, yes, right? This is what I I made a note. He, I couldn't believe it because we have Miss Missandei from Game of Thrones in this uh-huh. movie. Oh, Ramsey, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Ramsey, and then, um, I wrote his name down. Oh yeah, in all caps, I said another Game of Thrones cast member, the redheaded guy who works. <laughs> Anyway, he, in, in Game of Thrones, his name is Tormund. Okay. He was with Tormund. the Free People. Mm-hmm. Sort he of was, playing the same kind of character, I feel. Yes. He was like the assistant to, um, what's his name? Yeah, leader of the John Free. Jon Snow, yeah. So, I mean, I think that really puts this movie in a very specific time. Because it was only like between like tw- maybe 2015 and 2018 when like people were like taking characters from game of thrones and putting them in their movie. Um, (laughs) I, so I, I do think we should go to the end of the movie. And the one last note I'll make about anything else is Helen Mirren calling God's eye, the devil's bum hole. I just really (laughs) liked when the Shaw, when she was like talking uh, Shaw into like joining like Ben's side of this. Uh, I I just really liked that. (laughs) Um, Like I said, I would love to see a a Shaw family movie. It'd be great. Uh, But as so often happens in the Fast and Furious movies, it ends with a barbecue scene where literally, I think everybody from the movie that you've seen previously is on the same rooftop. It's so CGI (laughs) because Vin Diesel and The Rock refuse to shoot scenes together. So like they had to like 
put them like they were never in the same shot together. They had like composite them all in the same shot at the very end. And I think it it's it's worse for it. I think so. It's it's an uncomfortable. We've had this is it's maybe the the least uh like comfortable barbecue scene that they've had in these movies. We do learn some interesting stuff. One thing I noted down was the rock mentions he's going to, you know, like hang up his gloves, right? He's done being an agent. And he says after 16 years. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying that to me is an interesting. It establishes like, some kind of timeline. There's yeah. some level of age. There's some sort of a timeline. So he's been the DSS agent for what he's made up DSS agent for 16 years. Is his daughter 16? No, she was younger than 16. Yeah. Right. She looked older. Than, I was honestly, I was expecting like a six-year-old. At the and end she of the older. movie, she looked way older than yeah. the beginning of the movie. She, she may be, she may have been 16. I mean, she she definitely looks like a teenager. Daddy staying home. Daddy staying home. Yeah, very uncomfortable. Now, Rachel, what yes. did you think of the scene where Vin introduces Letty to his baby? Did she seem into being a stepmother? No, it was like very, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 well, and Jordan pointed this out as we were watching, presumably at least a few days or maybe a week had gone by since like the big culminative, you know, scene in Russia. And then the British guy shows up with the baby as if he's been taking care of this baby the whole time. Like The Vin's... baby handoff should have happened earlier. Yes. Like Vin <laughs> Diesel should have taken the baby right after. When the job um, ends in Russia, the baby should have changed hands. To yeah. Sta- yeah, it was very strange. <laughs> but Deckard Shaw really want like, I just love the scene with him and the baby. Like, he had so much more chemistry and, like, felt more like a fun uncle than anybody else in this movie. So maybe that's... He just wanted, like, a little more time with... Hate to say it. Baby Brian. And this is a real problem that I have with this movie. (laughs) Like, serious problem. Disaster. Do you... Rachel, do you know why... Does the name Brian in the Fast and Furious movie mean anything to you? Yeah, so actually, I didn't... I didn't understand that. I thought, so, well, okay. So so I I didn't know, but, but if you don't know the history, if you're watching it, if, if the, you know, the baby's previous name was Marcos and, and Elena, the mom of the baby, right. She had said like, I've been calling him Marcos, but I wanted his dad to be the one to name him, which like (laughs) one, that's crazy. You're like, you know, he, a guy kind of left you for another woman stuck <laughs> in a freaking jail and and you're not even gonna you know you feel like you can't as his mother name the child i thought that was <laughs> um it's crazy and, and you, it is crazy and then to hear to hear okay you know and then the mom died and then she you know she was she was blown up we didn't cover that that was horrible <laughs> um very upsetting scene um i like her as a character i yeah. i really do uh, I forget that actress's name, but I really do. I I thought she was like believable, like a good mm-hmm. character in this sort of very masculine world. She like really held uh, her own in a different way than Letty. Letty, I feel like meets energy with like energy equally, and like she just kind of had like a different vibe about her. But it, it fit in, slotted in very nicely in the family. So to see her like unceremoniously dispatched with like a big explosion was was tough right yeah so 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 not knowing any of the brian backstory 
to hear, you know, Marcos is kind of like a cool, you know, name. It's, you know, this. She's Brazilian. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, you know. And then, so to not know any of the stuff and then hear, and then it's this big culminative moment and it's, this is Brian. Such a <laughs> nub's name. Like, you're like, what? Also, like, she's dead. So wouldn't a right. nice thing to be like to keep the name? That's what I was. And alive? that as a viewer, that's what I was thinking. Like, this is Marcos or... I don't know, something in honor of the mom. To not know who Brian is and then (laughs) at the climax of this movie name, like just like the name of like an accountant. Yeah, right, Exactly. Um, Now, Jordan, do you want to explain to Rachel why the name Brian, like the whole thing? Right. The reason that this is so such a bizarre choice is that this is the first movie uh, fully shot after the death of Paul Walker. And Paul Walker has played a character named Brian, one of the main characters of these movies for, you know, over a decade. So the, uh, the, the problem is that in the universe of the movies, Brian, the character, is still alive. He's just retired. He's always, you know, on his way to the barbecue. He's always, oh, should we let Brian know? Ah, you know, yeah, he's, he's with Mia. They're retired he's always a right around the corner. So there is a bizarre thing that happens where the movie is trying to honor Paul Walker, the actor. And yet in this pivotal moment where they could have called the baby Paul, which I think would have been a real emotional connection. It wouldn't have created any like weirdness in the universe of the film and actually have been like maybe a more true tribute to the actor, the person they named the baby Brian, who again conceivably is literally on his way to the barbecue. <laughs> what was that scene like when Brian finally arrives? It's like Brian, I named my baby after. Yeah. Like that would be weird if I named a kid after Jordan. That would be weird. Yeah, uh, which you should, but <laughs> I, I don't know. I I I think that's such like a very. Like if we, if us dummies thought of that solution, that perfect solution, like it's surprising to me that that they didn't. Calling him uh, Paul would have been perfect. I don't remember too much about when we saw this movie in theater. There's a couple of scenes that stand out, right? The Rock and Statham in jail. I think the torpedo sequence that we we kind of only barely touched on here with the Rock at the end. But I do remember at the end of this movie when that name, when Brian is spoken, I re- I do remember like a collective groan. Because it's such a misfire for such an obvious beat. And that has always stuck with you can't You can't separate that from this movie. It reminded me of, oh boy, in Moonraker, Jaws <laughs> is like saving somebody and like a girl. Like he like has a girlfriend that he meets or whatever. And like his thing is that he has metal teeth. That's like his like uh, henchman quirk. And his girlfriend is like, ha- like has her mouth closed big smile but then she shows her teeth and you think she's gonna have braces everybody remembers her having braces but she doesn't and that's what this reminded me of of like such an obvious thing that everybody's anticipating and it's like a swerve in the complete wrong direction um i do think a criticism of this movie is that it's unnecessary that like fast seven or furious seven was a perfect ending point you know the paul walker tribute you know, they, they sort of wrapped up a lot of the loose ends. I mean, obviously, money wins over everything. 
so they had to make more of these movies. But I think if you just end everything after Fat Fury 7, I think it's a nice clean ending. So I think we've also noticed a drop off and maybe maybe we're feeling that. Yeah, the quality is a little bit weird. There's less uh, less charisma. You're losing the rock in these movies that followed this one. And the idea, I guess, is that we're going to culminate with a Fast 10 in which still Cypher, but this is like Cypher's villain arc uh, over the last few movies here. So a strange way to wrap it up. It's, it's a very bizarre... This, this I think, is, an it, to your point, it's an important movie because it kind of marks if 5, 6, and 7 are like bringing life back into the franchise and igniting kind of this global phenomenon. I think eight is probably the beginning of what we'll ultimately see as kind of the tail end, the drop off of this, the series as well. And, and maybe we'll eventually cover it, even though it doesn't have the rock in it, but you know, fast nine, I do think is an improvement on this. I mean, Jordan, where would you put this movie among five, six, seven, and eight? If it's five, six, seven, and eight, to me, this is easily the bottom of those of those three. Uh, unfortunately, it it just it's a lacking the charm of those. It's lacking a little bit of the fun. Um, odd enough to say, I think this movie needed more Dwayne, which is like I know sometimes where we get a little bit. Sick. I think this needed a little bit more Dwayne. Um, when you take Vin Diesel, you make him the bad guy. You end up losing in a large part, the Vin Diesel charisma because he's so tortured in this mm -hmm. film. I think you then need someone like Dwayne to carry some of that. Instead, we kind of get an amalgamation of like Scott Eastwood moments. There's a few Tyrese moments with Roman and Letty has a little bit, but I think you actually need Dwayne to then carry the light side, which heart, which is such a, you know, I, I never find myself saying that anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's usually too much. I, it, it makes it difficult when... Dwayne Johnson refuses to shoot scenes with the star of the movie. <laughs> Makes it a little tricky. Sure. <laughs> Rachel, any parting thoughts about this movie? I agree with Jordan. I think it was lacking a little bit of charisma. Um, out of everything in this franchise that I've seen, it was probably my least favorite overall. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess maybe the one thing I'll say, which like I think Jordan kind of touched on and both of you touched on, uh, Letty's character one I agree there was like no I don't see any sexual chemistry with her and <laughs> um, Vin Diesel I actually like as we were watching this I was like this woman's queer like this woman has oh, like queer energy like just just her whole aura is like very like queer and I googled Michelle Rodriguez and she is she's bisexual oh. um she came out, I don't know, I think like, I think before this movie, I think like 2014 or 2015, she came out. She's bi. Um, so I don't know. I thought that was interesting. I, I think she does have a very kind of like masculine energy. Um, so I feel like it would have been more interesting if they weren't together and she was like a queer character. <laughs> and um, yeah. She just seems but... forced into stepmotherhood. And she right. doesn't really seem to be on board with it. No, she she didn't seem on board with that. Um, yeah, I kind of want her to have like her own kind of like queer spinoff. A spinoff spin would actually be 
could be interesting. We haven't really yeah. had that from her. And she's voiced some frustration with her roles in, in, in this franchise that she wants more to do, more character development. So maybe, you know, mm-hmm. a Peacock prestige TV series with Letty <laughs> yeah, oh, would be good. <laughs> They're turning everything into a TV show. Why should it stop with the Fast and the Furious? <laughs> Excellent point. I will say it made me... I, I do love those barbecue scenes, so I like feel like I, I want to go. Yeah. yeah, it's like it's very nice. But okay, um, you know what? One last thought about that: they're drinking Budweiser in this barbecue. Huge departure. Terrible. Yeah. Do you think they were that? paid by Budweiser to yes, do that? Yes, it's, it's product placement. But oh, really? Up until this okay. point, it had been Corona, and Corona wow. had been mentioned by name. Uh, basically, since the Most dawn of movies. the franchise, yeah, I think it's actually I think, crazy. Yeah, I think Vin actually says that in the first movie when Brian comes to the party. Uh, you know, uh, can I get you something? Yeah, but only if it's a Corona or something to that effect. So, How much do you think Budweiser paid them to make that? Uh, I don't know. This movie cost what two hundred and seventy million dollars. <laughs> That's insane. So, you know, maybe Budweiser had, you know, offset that uh, a little bit. But I I will say about the CGI, I actually thought it was pretty clean. Like, it looks good for the most part. Uh, The last barbecue scene notwithstanding. I mean, compared to, like, the Marvel movies that are coming out, it looks miles ahead of that. Uh, So I just got to give, you know, Vin, who I'm sure was working day in and day and night, day out, doing all the CGI work for this because you know, <laughs> he's taking credit for Dwayne Johnson's acting. He might as well take credit for all the CGI work. I really pushed our animators. Uh, <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I think then that, that, that just about does it then for us with fate of the furious an excellent, an excellent return to form for us here on rock talk, Rachel, uh, an amazing debut. Thank you so yes. much for joining us. Thank you. It was your, very fun. Your insight is always appreciated. And uh, we won't have it, unfortunately, next episode. Jordan, what are we talking about next episode? We are talking about, we have mentioned it a couple of times here today. We're going to be talking about <laughs> Jungle Cruise. And oh my God. <laughs> if, if if we thought that this movie had a lot to discuss, I think Jungle Cruise uh might be pushing the envelope uh, to an entirely different level. So stay tuned for that uh, when that episode drops soon. So that's all we have time for today on Rock Talk. Join us next week when we discuss Jungle Cruise. See you later, jabronis. Can you smell what they're cooking? 